Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. Where am I? There I am. Oh, there I am. Uh, how is everybody going on? I hope you had a great week. Uh, we're coming right off of our big anniversary issue last week. And got another terrific episode for you this week. Got a terrific guest for you. And I want to get to that right away. But first, just, just to let you know, there's not much going on in the world of baseball, of course. They are negotiating, and we sit and wait, but I know they want to try to play by July the 4th, so they've got to get guys into camp within the next week or two. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But uh, let's go right to my guest right now that I pre-recorded a little bit earlier. I am joined this week by a legend in New York baseball. He was the uh, Mets media relations director or head for 38 years he is now the vice president of uh, alumni relations and the team historian he has a great new book out called mr met he is jay harwitz jay thanks so much welcome to Mets. pleasure to be with you guys pleasure to be with you thanks for having me jay how are you holding up in this uh, no baseball atmosphere and uh, pandemic yeah, it's crazy times you know you see you know I went through 9-11, he thought that was crazy, but this is crazier. But you've got to hope, you know, the people do the right thing and stay inside and, you know, still social distances. You know, you see the, there's still uh, spikes coming up all over the country and, uh, you know, just got to hopefully do the right thing and, uh, you know, they can get baseball back on in, in some form this year, you know, but it's got to be safe and stay healthy. That's the main thing, Gary. Right. And, and your gut feeling, do you think we're going to have baseball this year? I hope so. I'm not involved, really, but I, I hope so. I, I hopefully sides will see that they have to come to an agreement. Is yeah, I hope to God they do. So, Jay, how does a sports nut, mad kid from uh, New Jersey become like a family to generations of big leaguers? <laughs> well, I was I was uh, give you a uh, synopsis. Here. I was never much of an athlete, um, and, and you know, I and I was such a bad player in the little league. The only way I used to hit the ball, I used to bunt all the time. And one time I, I swung away and I hit a ball in center field. I tripped coming out of the batting batter's box. And the guy threw me out at first base. And in high school, uh, you know, I managed about eight different teams. And on graduation day in Clifton High School, I had more stripes on my sleeve than a starting quarterback. You know, basically, I wasn't an athlete. So I had to find other ways to get involved with sports. So I did what got to PR was the editor of my high school yearbook. Uh, when I went to NYU, I was uh, I was a um, manager of the basketball team, and then for uh, eight years, I I got to was the sports information director at Fairleigh Dickinson. I got a little, we got a little national attention for some of the athletes we had there. Again, we had a 
like a, a, a baseball player who got hit by a pitch 128 times. He had a uh, 43-year-old priest who played hockey, 47-year-old uh, uh, pre, uh, freshman football player. We had an Arab and Israeli goalie on our soccer team. So bang, you know, fast forward to 1980 when uh, the Mets were looking for a PR guy, weren't a very good uh, you know, team at that time. So they were looking for kind of an offbeat PR person, not just with staff. And I got hired and I've been there uh, you know, 40 years since. And you had a reputation as uh, looking for the offbeat story, uh, if you will, and uh, when you were at Fairleigh Dickinson and NYU. And uh, Fairleigh Dickinson in the 70s, didn't they have a, a, a – they had a kid on their basketball team. Um, I can't think of his name. He was a, 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 a white Jewish kid with a big afro. Seth Greenberg. Seth Greenberg. Uh, Seth Greenberg plays. Yeah, I think was, was it, Seth played. He went on to be a great college coach. Now he's a great commentator on ESPN. But he played. He was from Long Island, Plainview, Long Island, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And Seth was there. And probably my most famous athlete that I worked with fairly was a high jumper by the name of Franklin Jacobs, who set a world record. He jumped two feet over his head, and he won the Milrose game in the late, uh, in, I think, nineteen seventy six. Yeah, I mean, you're probably thinking of Seth. Seth mm-hmm. is a great point guard on a on the fairly Dickinson teams. Well, I you know, I only remember because uh, uh, I went to St. Francis College in Pennsylvania, and we played right. fairly Dickinson in the old ECAC holiday tournament in uh, the Garden. I think it was 74 or 75, one of those. And See, I don't remember us playing the Garden. I mean, uh, we had a uh, – no, I don't, I don't remember that, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't – you know. But Al Balba was the coach when I was there, a mm-hmm. good friend, you know, and, and he was the coach. He coached Al coach with, with Bobby Knight and Mike Krzyzewski up in Army, you know, and uh, and he was a fairly, you know, we, a couple of years in a row we had the top defensive team in the country, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that was what. But I, I, the other guy, I, I thought you guy was thinking was Seth Greenberg. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was surprised to find out that you also was a sports writer for a while. I wore. I wrote. I wrote coming out of high school, uh, out of college. I wrote for uh, the, the Herald News, and I actually covered the Jets for a year uh, uh, after the Super Bowl year. And we knew Bank, God rest his soul, was you know it was so nice to me. Some of the players, you know, John Schmidt and Pete Lamons and George Sauer were really nice to me. And I was a diehard Giant fan growing up, and I covered the first Giant Jets ex- exhibition game. At Yale Bowl, and the Jets won their game 37 to nothing. So it's a really hard game for me to write. But uh, the Jets, <laughs> in the year that I covered them, they were really very, very nice to me. Nice group of guys. Uh, and as you said in your synopsis, you, you uh, went to the Mets in 1980, and uh, but your Mets career didn't get off to a great start, did it? No, I actually <laughs> couple. I actually got lost on. Well, I'll backtrack just a little bit. I went for the interview. What really happened is that I had accepted a job to work as a staff guy for Tony Kubek and, my, and Joe Garagiola at NBC. And about a week before I was supposed to, let me know, it was probably a month before, I got a call from a friend, a guy named Jim Nagurney, who said he wanted me an interview for the Mets job, PR job. So I thought it was a friend of mine, played a joke. I hung, I hung up the phone on him. Did two day two later, I found out it was true. I went down to St. Petersburg for an interview. The only problem was I, I went to the 
wrong hotel. I was late. By the time I got to the, to the hotel, I was supposed to be at the own Edgewater Beach Hotel. Frank Cashin, who was a GM at the Mets at the time, was sitting there at the table in his little white tennis shorts. And I was so nervous, I walked over and introduced myself and proceeded to knock over a whole container of orange juice on his lap. Oh. So that didn't go up to a good start. And and then he asked me one question, and me, and, and after the second question, he said, well, that's all I need to know. And I remember going back to the airport that day in St. Petersburg. I called my late my mom and said, Mom, there's no way I got this job. No way. But, you know, I sooner, I, somehow I lasted 40-plus years. And actually, my first day to the job, and I, I come over from New Jersey to, to Shea, I was daydreaming and got lost and wound up in Brooklyn. And I was about two hours late for uh, – my first day on the job was April 1st, 1980. So it's kind of fitting that I started April Fool's Day. But somehow I survived, uh, somehow. Somehow and, and had a very long career. And uh, one of the first, you write in your book about one of the first persons, the uh, first person that you met was uh, Howie Rose. Yeah, Howie Rose, when he was working at WHN, uh, we did say Howie's become a great friend and he's been a great but now I'm the, I'm the uh, you know I work with the alumni and how he's got he knows more about Mets baseball than anybody and how he's, he's been a big support of mine we bring the alumni back to do different things and how uh, he's just a great guy a decent guy and you know you know the players love talking to Howie because he he would ask the tough questions not you know but not being a guy and I can never remember anybody running away from an interview with Howie Rose I and mean, Howie is a, to this day is a good friend yeah he's a terrific guy and he's got a he's got a terrific book out as well yeah he does he does yeah he go ahead <laughs> no I'm just saying he's uh, Howie's been a good friend yeah and he and Gary Cohn are probably the two t- two top historians of Mets history they both uh you know, when they worked together for a little bit on the radio, it was really great listening to them because they knew everything about everybody, and uh, there was no detail that slipped their minds. I, I know. I, I've been a fan since 62, and I'm amazed even. Uh, you know, I thought I knew a lot, but... <laughs> yeah, they, I don't know as much as they do, but one of the things about my new job, job I've been able to, you know, uh, come in contact with the older players. Like, give me an example, uh, about a month or two ago, I called, uh, you know, Hobie Landruff was actually the first Met taken in the expansion draft in 1961. And I called him about it just to say hello. And he told me I was the first person from the organization who had called him in 50 years. And that's one of the things we're trying to do is just reestablish our ties with the older guys, let them know basically we care. And it's really important to, you know, like the last couple of years, we've been bringing guys like Cleon Jones, Ed Cranepool, Brought the boat into spring training, put them in uniform, had them sign autographs with the fans, and, it's, and, 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 and these guys make them feel like they belong, which is great. And that's, I really get a lot of satisfaction in doing what we're doing now with the with the alumni. I, I I think it's a great idea because, like you said, you know, even though the Mets are not an old uh, franchise, there's there's still a lot of history there. Some of it's no, not so no, good. No question. Uh, you know. And, 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 you want to make the guys feel like they belong, you know, you know, like guys like Cleon, who does a big part of mid history, and Ed Cranepool, who's healthy now. We got thank God he got his kidney transplant, mm-hmm. and you know, so like Cleon Jones is doing great charity work, help restore his community in uh, in, in Mobile. 
it's been really great. And, and the guys are appreciative when they hear from us. And uh, we just got to keep it going. We do like a little newsletter and the podcast. And uh, it's good to keep the ties open. I say we, and I, you know, one, one of my philosophies uh, dealing with players, I try to treat the 25th guy on the team like the number one guy. So when we call guys from the past, we're not looking at just the quote superstars, the, the guys who are part of the Mets. And as long as they play for the Mets, we want to make them feel like they belong. And it really is amazing. Um, the people you've met over these 38 years or 40 years now, uh, it, it, do you ever sit back and say, oh, my God, how amazing has this been? Yeah. Uh, I've met presidents and uh, uh, superstar ball players and, and mayors and governors, and, and it's just incredible the amount of people that you've met and known in your lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really great, and I can honestly say that I never met a player or a person from that who I didn't have a good relationship with. From my first manager, Joe Torrey, in 1980, Joe really taught me what it was like to exist in a major league locker room. On our first road trip in Montreal, he brought me to a tie place on, say, Catherine Street. He brought me 70 ugliest ties imaginable, but I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I still wear them. To, I, have, I have them tucked away. And, you know, definitely, you know, Willie Randolph, and you know, I just can't believe Willie still never got another chance to manage. And mm-hmm. Bobby Valentine did so much great work with 9/11. You know, and Terry Collins, a dear friend, you know, who uh, we still talk to a couple of times a month. So you know, and, and the guys like you know Johnny Franco and you know Al Leiter, David Wright, Robin Ventura. I've really been blessed to work with a great group of guys, and uh, um, it's it, you know, I've really been fortunate to really have any bad relationships. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to, to get along with everybody and you know, a lot of these guys are dear friends who I've worked with 40 years ago. I still speak with Dwight and Darrell on a regular basis and uh, you know, I still speak with David Wright and, and the manager. So I've been very fortunate, you know, as somebody who was never an athlete and this was my vehicle to get into sports and I've been really been blessed to, to keep these relationships up the last you know, couple of decades. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Dwight Gooden. How, how difficult was that to uh, to get through for you? Because you were you, you were close to these guys. You you uh, you write in your book how you live and die and and breathe right, the right. the Mets. Right. And how difficult when when Dwight Gooden had his problems and and let's we all pray that that he's finally. Uh, uh, right. you know, uh, gotten well and, uh, and, and strawberry as well, but he seemed to straighten out his life. Thank God. Uh, yeah. You know what you think is you, you feel for them as people. One thing about being close to these guys, you realize you're people, you know, people have problems, you know, they get people have problems, but my, my whole thing too is when a guy is down in the dumps, that's where he needs friendship. That's where he needs companionship and, and care and being around. And even when those guys had their tough times, I try to stay by him and, you know, thank God, you know, Daryl and his wife, Tracy, become ministers. They're, they they travel around the country talking about the evils of drugs. And, you know, Dwight has is, um, is, is gotten himself straightened away. He, he does a, a lot of good charity work, like with a hospital in New Jersey, Hackensack Hospital. He teaches to, to, uh, to high school kids. And basically, a lot of your messages are the same. It's really don't do what I did. Look at my mistakes mm-hmm. and don't go down that path. Mm-hmm. And and they're, they're able to talk about what they did wrong and 
and they want to be a help to the young generation to try and prevent them from doing some of the things that they did. So, yeah, they have, both have problems. You know what? They both got their life in order now. They're both doing great, and um, I'm proud to be their friends. I, I always felt as a fan that the, the you know that the Mets could have done maybe a little bit more with with Dwight because uh, he was so young, um, and and maybe Davy Johnson could have took more of a role. But that's that's just an opinion. I, I you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 uh, we the thing which I from my end which I probably should have done better. I we all, when they, when Dwight when Darryl came up in '83 and Dwight came up in '84, we we just said yes to too many interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, at that time we were in '84, we we're getting better, but in '83 we were, we were a bad team, and you know, put a lot of pressure on these young kids coming to a major market. And looking back, if I had to do things over with, I would have been more protective of them media wise and not opening them up to so many interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of saying yes, 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 saying no, 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 and being more protective of them, that was just from my area. And mm-hmm. you know what? They 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 they, they had their problems. They persevered. Right. They got their life straight away, and that's really the main thing right now. Yeah, time to look ahead, not back. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. I w- I. You you also write about your uh, uh, your uh, familiar attitude and and your uh, you know uh, how nice the Wilpons have treated you uh, throughout the years as well as as Double Day when he was here. Uh, right, right. Does it does it ever bother you when when you see or read about the animosity that the fans may may have for the Wilpons at all? Yeah, it really bothers me a whole lot, uh, and I'll tell you why. You know, no one cares more about winning than Fred and Jeff Wilk and, and Wilpon is all cats. And, mm-hmm. and I just wish they could see their reactions when they lose and you know, when they're around the office. They're not happy when they're winning. And, they, and I can tell you personally that, you know, I had a, a, a little young lady named Shannon Ford who worked with me mm-hmm. for 22 years. And she unfortunately passed away from cancer in 2016. And Jeff did so much behind the scenes. To, to make her last couple of years, uh, uh, you know, palatable and, and, you know, and, and when I was hospitalized, he came to see me and made sure I had the proper care. And, you know, when Gary Carter was on his deathbed in 2012, he got a plane and, and flew us down to Florida to see him. And we saw Tom Seaver before, unfortunately he got sick. So, Jeff has got a big heart. He does a lot of things. He cares about the organization. And I understand there's a passion in Mets fans. You know, they, they want to win. They want to win. And, and so does the ownership. And, and uh, you know, Jeff does a lot of things privately to show his compassion for people that I wish more people would know about. You know, and he, and he does have a big heart. And I've been, listen, I, look at me. I'm, I'm going to be 75 years old in August. I still have a great job, and I'm pretty fortunate. It shows what about the mental organization. I've been there for 40 plus years, and not many people who work for an organization for that long, no matter where it is. So, yeah, I, it really bothers me. I just wish more people could get to know the real Jeff Wilpon. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I think they're in a no-win situation anyway. I mean, uh, the <laughs> you know, I think it's just the way it is. People are gonna. Uh, make their own minds up and think what they want to think, no matter what right, what right. the truth is. Right. So, 
but uh, uh, you mentioned being there for 40 years. And, and uh, how, how did you feel when they came to you and uh, offered you this this uh, new position, which I think was is a great idea, and and uh, I I think it's just terrific. Um, but what were your feelings at the time when they offered you that? I honestly, to be perfectly honest with you, I wasn't crazy about it. Being being really honest with you, I part of the things I liked was the travels, going around the country, the back and forth with the press. The, you know, I'm a people person, just to be the camaraderie in the locker room. But, you know, I said to myself, you know, I said, you know what? I mean, I, there, there comes a time to do something different. You got to be ready for change. And, you know, I just felt it was a good time. And I knew a lot of these older guys, and we really hadn't done a lot. And I said, you know what? It's time to change your lifestyle. And, you know, honestly, I, you know, I live in New Jersey. I travel two bridges to get to work every day. And maybe, you know, like lessen the load a little bit. So I don't have to be in every game. I don't have to get three hours of sleep every night and, and, uh, and go back and forth. So it, it was a blessing. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, honestly, my first reaction, I didn't want to do it. But after thinking about it and speaking to Jeff, and I realized there were more benefits than, uh, than the negatives. And, and I've gotten adjusted to my, you know, to my new lifestyle. I, I don't really like to keep a big presence on the field anymore because I'm not really involved with the current players, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just try and keep my distance and do what I have to do. But yeah, I, my first reaction was I wasn't happy with it, but in time I understood how which Jeff was correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've seen so much. You've seen uh, the uh, three world series actually in your career. Three world series, right. Um, Remember that? Yeah, and in 1986, I still remember um, game six, bottom of the 10th inning. I'm sitting here in Davey Johnson's office, me, Keith Hernandez, and Daryl Johnson, one of the uh, coaches, the scouts at the time. I'm sitting to myself, how are we going to explain to the press how a team that won 114 games um, couldn't get win the World Series? And lo and behold, Gary gets a hit, Mitchell gets a hit, Ray Knight gets a hit. Mookie's at bat. We fall behind 3 nothing the next day, and we win the World Series. It's, it was really remarkable. We, you know, for one strike away, to go right. to win the World Series. And it was just, you know, and in, uh, you know, 2000, when we, when we lost to the uh, Yankees, I mean, we lost four games. I think the total was five runs. We lost, and then, you know, 15, a couple of things happened in the beginning of some of the games in Kansas City, and, uh, it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. But I mean, it was you know we had the All Star game in 2013, which was a big thrill. So I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great events. But probably, if you ask me, the number one thing I'm most proud of was what the organization did at 9/11. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from the ownership on down to Bobby Valentine, to players like Johnny Franco, Robin Ventura, Al Weider, Vance um, uh, Wilson, Joe McEwing, uh, Todd Zeal. We really made it. Mike Piazza, of course. We really made a difference in the community. We helped. We helped the city heal. You know, mm -hmm. we, we we went down to Ground Zero a lot of times right. without any camera, without any media, and I really, I think we really made a difference. And uh, of course, Mike Homer was uh, was the keynote of that when that stretch. But we did so many other things, like wearing the hats at the on the on the first mm -hmm. responders, right. donating donating a, a, a day salary to. Rusty Sobs, uh, 
uh, you know, police uh, carry. So mm -hmm. that was really a lot of good memories from that. I was really proud to be associated with that group of guys. And and unfortunately, uh, during your uh, uh, time with the Mets, we we've lost a number of of great players. Um, right. You mentioned Rusty, uh, Gary Carter. Uh, Gary Carter, 57, too young to die. Two, Ed, two. Ed Charles passed away. Tug McGraw passed away. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Tom Seaver is sick right now. You know, Buddy Buddy Howell is sick. Yeah. We lost yeah. Tommy Agee, and then you're all too young in a, in a heart attack. So it's kind of that's why the, the last year, the uh, the 50th anniversary, the 69 team was a great, was a great thing, but it, it was kind of a little bit, you little know, peppered by this. course, Tom couldn't be there, yeah. and, and Buddy wasn't 100, percent you know. And uh, you know, I, I came my first meeting with Tom Seaver. It was the spring of 1983 when he came back for the uh, second time. Uh, I'm, I'm in the old Huggins Stangle Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Tom's in the Whirlpool. I had a suit. I was kind of nervous meeting him, so I walked over and said, Tom, I'm the new PR guy with the men's glad to meet you. He says to me, come over here, son, I can't hear you. So he proceeded to take the hose from the whirlpool and pour, pour it down my pants. As I'm speaking to Tom, I'm getting drenched. Don't bat an eye in. Then walked away, said, okay, Tom. And I walked away and changed my clothes. So that was my first meeting with Tom Seaver. And and you've been I I don't want to use the word picked on, but um, uh, the players have had some fun with you over the years. But it it uh, it's it's really out of love than yeah. anything else. Is that fair? Well, go to back say? to Johnny Franco. You know, Johnny once told me he said, "Jay, if the guys don't like you, they won't screw with you." Right. So, and I I could have written a whole book on the things that Johnny Franco did to me in fun and it was love. <laughs> putting white out on my glasses on the planes when I slept, cutting my ties uh, on the plane when I slept. Uh, probably the, the, the funniest thing he ever did to me, we were in a hotel, the old Billboard Hotel in L.A. Johnny had the idea. He got a horse head from the, uh, unscrewed a horse head from a horse in the lobby, went up to my room, got the keys to my room, put the horse head under, under the covers, put ketchup on my pillows, and shut the lights off in my room. And when I got into the room, I sort of had a heart attack. I said, there's a dead horse in my, in my pillow. But Johnny was, uh, I always follow his advice, you know, if they don't screw around with you, they don't like you. So they must have liked me a little because they screwed around with me a lot. And, and uh, of course, the forward to your books written by Jacob deGrom, and, and uh, he said you had a piece of advice for him just to be honest with the press. Yeah, Jacob and I, you know, one of the things they wanted me to, uh, Jacob was very kind to help do the forward. The, one, the publisher of the book wanted to let people know that I had a relationship with the younger guys on the team. And I worked with Jake for his first couple of years. His, his, his Cy Young, first Cy Young, his Rookie of the Year award. And Jacob and, and, and that my Stephen match, we had a kind of cool relationship back and forth. You got to understand, I'm a lot older than Jacob DeGrom <laughs> and Stephen Matz. So I would go to Jacob and say, Jacob, I need you to do this interview. And he would say, well, I'll do the interview, but you got to do this. We had a basket in the, in the in the locker room. If you make two to three baskets, I'll do the interview. Of course, I never did. And then we would go outside, and, and, and he would say, I'll do an interview if you would hit Stephen Maps and me fungos for 20 minutes. So I did that. And all I try to do, you know, just to let these guys know, I was willing to be part of the fabric of the locker room. I could, right. I could take a joke. 
And that's how I kind of established my relationship with the younger guys on the team. And, you know, Jacob was kind enough to say some nice words about me. Now, who was the toughest guy you ever had to work with uh, as far as a player? Uh, if- uh, <laughs> I, I can't say, honestly, say to really, I'm not trying to blow smoke or anything. I, I just, I, I don't really want to say there was, maybe everything wasn't a hundred percent, but I, but I, I just, you know, I, 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 there's no one I could say I didn't get along with. No one I could say I didn't get along with. And, and who would you say was the easiest? Who was, uh, well, that there's a lot of one and one A's, yeah, you know, yeah. Franco, Luffy Wilson, Gary Carter, Al Leiter, yeah. uh, David Wright, um, Lee Mazzilli. Um, it, it's hard. I'm, I'm impressed with the group working a really good bunch of guys, you know, and I don't like to say who is my favorite guy. Uh, yeah. I had a lot of favorite guys and I don't want to insult anybody, <laughs> you know, but there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good guys I'm lucky enough to work with. Now, good the, managers. The Mets hall of fame. Uh, it's been sporadic over the years. Can we look for, uh, something maybe a little bit more consistently from we, we were going to, I mean, except for the pandemic, you know, we're going right. to induct Ron Darling, uh, Alfonso, and John Matlack. We're going to be more proactive in retiring numbers. We were going to do that. We are going to do it. We now just got to get through this pandemic and see where we are with things. You know, he definitely will be on the uptake. You know, Jeff Wilpon's committed to that. Yeah, because there always seems to be such a gap, and I know a lot of the fans, uh, they'll say to me, you know. No, it's not going to happen. We, 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 oh, that's we're great. That. We're going to make things different, I promise. Yeah, they've, they've really done it. You know, when, when City Field opened, there was a lot of criticism, of course. You know that. Um, right. Um, but they've really made, I, I feel over the years, they made a great effort on uh, metzitizing, if that's a word, <laughs> the ballpark and and trying to bring back these yeah. guys, and I think it's 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 good. It's good for the franchise. It's good for the history of the of. That's uh, why my position. That's why Jeff wanted me to do what I'm doing. The, the, a lot of what you're saying, because mm-hmm. he knows I have a relationship with these guys, and I could be the vehicle to help bring more people back. And and though you would be more active with the Hall of Fame, and I promise you that it, it, it's going to happen. Oh, that that's terrific news because I know yeah. people, you know, been asking about that for the yeah. longest. Yeah, no, no, it's gonna happen. I promise you that. We just got to get through this. So, are we gonna have another book too after this? Or- no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm good. Trust me, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good with book book one. I never thought I would do this, but book one is good. And my whole premise was I I didn't want to hurt anybody. I wanted to uh, to do a you know a feel good book, not a tell all book, and I, I just want to get this book out there and not make some people laugh and maybe cry a little bit with some parts of it. But I just want to hopefully Met fans will identify with some of the stuff I've done and, and give some some good feeling. Well, it, it's a terrific book, and I, I think everybody should go out and buy it. Mr. Met, uh, How a Sports Mad Kid from Jersey Became Like Family to Generations of Big Leaves by Jay Horwitz. And, Jay, I want to thank you for taking the time today. No, no, I appreciate your time and, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully get through this mess and people be safe and uh, we get a vaccine and, 
get back to normal eventually. And and you can hit the trail and get and do some book signings, hopefully. That, I'm not really worried about that. I just want people <laughs> to be safe and get healthy. That's what I'm concerned about. I, I agree. I agree. It was so nice talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Okay, man. Jay. Thank Bye. you. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. 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 Jay Horowitz, everybody, uh, the author of a great new book, Mr. Meth, How a Sports Mad Kid from Jersey Became Mike Family to Generations of Big Leaguers. And I'll be back right after this. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shoftaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the Internet today about their teams. It always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com or at baseballpodcast.net. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com, along with Mets Musings and other great baseball podcasts. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Jay Horwitz. Uh, uh, He's been with the Mets a long time, seen a lot of things, and and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Those stories is a lot more in the book, so go pick up the book, uh, and and, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank Jay once again for coming on. And I want to thank you all for, for uh, tuning in and listening. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button on uh, Apple uh, Play, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now, iTunes. I don't even know any key keep up with it all. Uh, YouTube, wherever you watch or listen to the podcast, it does help me grow the show and bring new listeners in so hit that subscribe button we would really appreciate it and if you'd like to help out the show you can uh by going to anchor.fm slash mets musings is a uh, support button right on that page you can hit or you can go to our patreon page at patreon.com slash mets musings and uh i guess until next time uh Remember to keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Hopefully we'll have baseball soon. And then we'll have to see. All right, I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Music.